It's a non-presidential election year, which means it's time for the most stupendous state Senate contest in all of Missouri, the battle for Jeffco. State Senator Paul Whelan won that contest over Democrat Jeff Rorta in 2014 and is hoping for a repeat victory in 2018. The Imperial Republican joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about his contest with Democrat Robert Butler and the lay of the land for the Republicans in Jefferson County. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manish. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufu's Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufu's Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. Our special co-host... Abigail Sensky. And our special guest, one of the cat combatants in the Battle for Jeff Co. Part 2... Paul Whelan. State Senator for the 22nd Senatorial District, which is, the, you know, every every two to four years is like the center of the Missouri political universe. And this, and this is your, your bid for a second term. Right. Second, Correct. And that's second all, and final and, term. In the yeah, that, yes. that's what I was going to yeah. say, because yeah. the term limits. Right. Um, this, this would be it for you if you won. Right. Okay. So how is this reelection uh, compared to your last race? We had you on in 2014 when it was probably one of the most expensive and competitive contests in the entire state. What, what's what's the environment like and how are you how is this race different than the last one? Well, the biggest difference is pretty much what you just said last time. Um, that was when Auditor Schweik was unopposed. And so the top of the ticket turned into um, myself. And I think probably you could say that. The Ashcroft um, Shoop race was probably the two top ones in state. Um, so everyone was focused on that. We were in a period of time where there wasn't any campaign finance limits. So the money was flowing in heavily from every direction for both candidates. I think that, um, you know, Jeff Ward and myself probably both spent just about right at a million dollars each in that race. Um, so now we're toned it down quite a bit. Yeah, you know? and yeah. with campaign finance limits, I mean, just from a practical standpoint as a candidate, how does that affect your budget and how you spend your time? Well, it's um, it's it's, it, it's a different race. Yeah, it's I mean, twenty six hundred dollars per right. Yes, per and donor. A, so this is a totally different race. Um, last time, um, Jeff and myself both bought up a lot of television time, and the race that we have now, we're not the number, we're not the marquee where I race the one at the top of the ticket, and we also have two billionaires in Illinois that are buying up TV time like crazy. We're going to have McCaskill and Holly. I mean, so the TV market is not, I don't think is a consideration for either one of us at this point in time. It's probably radio it's, and, it's, and mailers. Right, right. So it's a totally different race. Um, and that's okay. Um, the money is a, a lot harder to get because you're not going to get those $100,000 checks or $250,000 contributions. Um, 
Well, at, at the same time, I think we've done well as far as raising money. Um, I've never stopped raising money from the day I got elected. It was like that was the beginning of the re-election effort. And so we've um, probably raised close to half a million dollars since then. Um, we probably have close to about 200000 on hand right now. So um, it's a little bit harder to raise the money. But then again, I don't think we're going to need anywhere near the amount of money. So that's one of the big differences. And do you think that there's an issue in where the transparency and where that money's coming from? I know you had mentioned that previously when we talked. Right. I think um, I, right now in my race, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I'm a big believer in transparency and, and everything that anybody's ever contributed to me is out there. It's in the public record. It's open. Um, what I fear about is with the return of campaign finance limits, and I think we've seen this a little bit in some of the races out state in the primaries, is you are going to have people come in with large chunks of money trying to affect the race, and there isn't that accountability where you don't really know where that money came from. Um, I don't see that happening in this particular race, but I see it in the future that's going to continue to happen in races that are competitive. Well, I mean, might the, let's say, state Republican Party or the state Democratic Party, I mean, forgetting the whole, quote, dark money stuff, just basically outside money, are you seeing where there's stuff being done, let's say mailers put out that you didn't know about? I mean, things that are being done by outside groups. Or, be- or PACs, because I think there may be a PAC that's in favor of you that's out right. there, and there may right. be a PAC that's in favor of your opponent out there, something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen um, anything yet, um, and that doesn't really surprise me because we're even when we were the marquee race, most of the money wasn't spent till October. So, you know, we haven't, so it doesn't surprise me that we really haven't seen anything. Um, I mean, it's just, it's not time yet. Now, I don't anticipate seeing much. There again, I don't think, um, I mean, I don't think you can ever have a Senate race that's off the radar, but I think when you look at the situation that we're in, we're not the marquee race, um, I'm the incumbent. Um, it looks like I, at this point in time, I have a pretty substantial financial edge. I don't see a lot of other people jumping in and trying to affect this race. I mean, it could happen, but I don't see that happening. Okay, so big picture. Uh, St. Char- Saint, uh, I mean, sorry, Jefferson County, I get my mm-hmm. counties great. Okay, Jefferson County has been, frankly, the probably the most important swing county in the state for a number of statewide elections for at least a decade. Right. So in your case, forgetting your race first just okay. a bit, you've got the, the U.S. Senate race as we're doing this. Josh mm-hmm. Hawley, the Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate, is going to be there in less than two hours. Um, McCaskill has spent some time there. Both parties are doing all sorts of things. I mean, there's mm-hmm. coordinated campaign offices. There's all sorts of stuff going on. So as you see it as the state senator for that area, how do you see just just the general mood in the county right now, and how might all this activity affect your contest? Well, um, I would say right now, I think overall, the majority of the people in Jefferson County, I think, still tend to lean Republican. And I guess my, my, my reason for saying that is we've had this year multiple judges that have been Democrats for years that decided to file as Republicans. So the, the old saying when I first started in politics back in 1994 was people advised me, they said, well, if you want to if you want to win, young man, you better run as a Democrat because Republicans don't get elected in Jefferson County. Now we've almost went full circle the other direction. Candidates that are thinking about running that aren't really 
diehard conservatives or diehard Republicans um, are saying, well, if I want to win, I better run as a Republican. If I'm a judge, I want to get retained, I better run as a Republican. So I think that mood is out there. Now, with that being said, I do see somewhat of a intensity on the other side that is stronger than the intensity on our side. And so I see the Democrats having a little bit more um, desire to go vote, a little bit where I, what happens is you have this complacency, um, and it happens every year whoever's in the office of the White House. Um, all of the, I guess, the intensity of the Republicans are kind of like, hey, we're in good shape. We have super majorities in the Missouri House and the Senate. We control Washington. Ah, we're in good shape. We don't have to vote today. And that's what we're battling against. Where the side that's down is always like, if we're going to make a difference, we got to get out and go vote. So that's what I see somewhat's happening. So the challenge for us as Republicans is to motivate our voters and get them out. So what's the key issue for you and, and, and what you're hearing? Um, the, key, the key issue, I think, still boils down to the economy. You know, the interesting thing, um, you can say that, well, now we have you know, record employment and things. everything looks like it's going good. And there's an old saying that, you know, that's fine as long as, you know, everybody, if, you're, if your neighbor doesn't have a job, then it's a recession. But if you don't have a job, it's a depression. So there still are a lot of people that are underemployed or don't have work, even though we're at record levels. So I think what I'm hearing is probably the biggest thing is still the economy. And followed closely, probably second, is the opioid. That is touching a lot of people. That um, It's just amazing to me how many people's families that is touching right now. And after Missouri voted no on right to work in August, how big of an issue do you think that's going to be in this election for Jefferson County voters? I don't, I don't see it being that huge of an effort. I mean, there, there's, you know, they, they were able to go out and motivate. There again, that's a motivation factor. Motivate everyone to come out and vote and say, hey, this can affect our jobs. This can affect our pensions. We need to get out. And we need to vote. And we need to stop this thing. Now that's done. Okay, so now there's not that same motivation to get all those people necessarily out to the ballot to vote. Um, now I'm sure that you know the Republican, like I said, but this is this is a I mean, this is going to be a race of turnout. I mean, both sides are going to be doing everything they can to try to get their people to the polls because that's ultimately what's going to happen with who's going to win, who's going to lose. Well, is there a debate over whether or not uh, the General Assembly, and then you would have a role? would bring up right to work again, even though it got passed statewide. I mean, are you hearing any of that, or are people just focused uh, on other issues? And just for our listeners, Senator Whelan voted against right to right. work. Correct. Yes, yes. So I, I want to make that clear. Right. Yes. So. Correct. I've always voted against right to work. Um, I have not heard from any of my Senate colleagues, um, and we were all together for a special session and for a veto week. I mean, just like about, was that last week, two weeks ago maybe? Mm-hmm. Um and I did not hear any discussion. No one came to me and said, hey, I think we got a different way we want to try to attack this. Um, it pretty much didn't come up at all. Um, it's my hope that we kind of, that the, the public has spoken, Jefferson County has spoken, 80% of our citizens rejected it. Um, I think that that's an issue that should be over with and we should focus on other things. There's a lot of other things that we need to do to improve the state. And I think that, to me anyway, should be a dead issue. Now, your opponent, Bob Butler, is, is running primarily on a pro-union platform. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you yourself would classify yourself as favorable to labor unions, but I do need to bring up what you said on our last show when we asked you about a bill that passed, I believe, in 2016 that would have been, I guess, the, quote, paycheck protection for some public employee unions. Yeah, it would require them to sign um, annually in order for their union dues to be deducted from their checks. Now, I don't have audio of that with me, but I recall that you voted in favor of that because... 
you didn't have the the communications with some of the specific labor unions uh, no. there. So I okay. want you well, to let, kind of let explain me, that. Okay, let me explain and I'll correct you too. Sure. Okay. Um, I have never voted for that bill when it came through the legislature. What had happened was, and that was back when Jay Nixon was still the governor, mm-hmm. and the bill was vetoed, mm-hmm. and it came up for a veto override. And on the veto override, I voted to override the veto. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there a reason why? I think well, he's about to explain the, why. And, and, that's, and that's kind of what the reason why. The reason why isn't, and this is the way I, it's, maybe it's com- the way I compartmentalize it. I didn't agree with the issue, but once, once the bill is vetoed, it's not an issue about that issue anymore. Now it's a question of whether the governor's office and the executive branch is correct or whether the legislature is correct. Okay, And so I'm part of the legislature, so I thought, I believe the legislature is correct. And I've always in my history, there's only been, I think, maybe one exception when I was in the House a long time ago, that I've always voted with the legislature on overriding vetoes. So it was a veto override, and that veto override failed, and I knew when I made that vote that there was not enough votes, even with me, to pass it. So I didn't feel like I was harming anybody, mm-hmm. but I felt I was making a position saying, I'm going to stand with the legislature and not the executive Was branch. one of the ones you didn't override right to work a couple years ago? I don't remember. Yeah, I've always voted. I mean, even, yeah, I mean, that could have been one of them that I didn't. Yeah, if, yeah. I'm trying to remember. But I'm, but see, the, I'm not sure if that got to that. Well, anyway, it, if it got to the House, I think it did. The, yeah. the reason I'm mentioning this, though, is yeah. I think the AFL-CIO has endorsed both candidates in this race. So they clearly, they clearly see you as a pro-labor candidate. I'm just kind of expecting your opponent to bring that up. So I wanted you to have the well, response. I have not heard from the FLCIO as far as in the general election. In the in the primary election, they did endorse both of us. Yes. Okay, now for the general, I know the Carpenters Union has supported me and the Labor's Local 110 have endorsed me. The other ones, I don't know if they've made any endorsements yet. I haven't heard from, haven't heard officially from anybody other than those two. Now, you mentioned the economy being a top issue. Is that for you as well as the in the uh, county and while, you know, some people are doing well and some people aren't, I mean, so w- within that issue, are there certain things that you're emphasizing? Well, I've always been a strong supporter of the ports, and I've always done everything I can to try to encourage economic development around the ports. And the reason for that is, and it can, I could talk an hour about ports, but we're at a point in history to where um, the Midwest of the U.S., is going to increasingly be relied upon to feed the world. And we have to find a way to get our farm products to market in the most efficient, effective way to compete with other countries like, uh, let's say, Brazil or you know, even, even Asia. So in order to do that, the, the most efficient way is to use the advantage that we have is that we have the river and it goes right to St. Louis. Um, we don't have any locks or dams from St. Louis on south. And it's pretty much built up, so any new development's got to come somewhere outside of the St. Louis area. And Jefferson County is poised to be able to pick up on that. Um, and there's action moving that direction. Um, one of the things is these big major projects don't happen in six months. Sometimes they take six years. Um, as a legislator who faces term limits, that is kind of aggravating to me that I, I would say once I'm gone, after I'm gone for a couple of years, you're going to see huge movement as far as Jefferson County becoming a major player in shipping on the Mississippi River. But these things all, someone's got to plant the seed and they got to nourish it and it's got to grow before it actually starts taking place. What What about tariffs, though, the presidential tariffs? How are they impacting you guys down there? And so there is there a political, the port, your race? 
That I don't really know to tell you the truth because we don't have a port. I mean, we're not we're not exporting anything right now. We're still in the development stages. And I've seen data that said that 75% of people who live in Jefferson County work outside of the county. Yes, exactly. What are you doing to bring jobs and grow the economy within Jefferson County? Well, that the ports is the biggest thing that I'm trying to affect. Um, I've passed legislation in the past that enables um, port authorities to create enterprise zones to where they can retain a certain percentage of the payroll taxes, which to, can help them to continue to grow. Um, that has worked extremely well in the Kansas City area. They've taken it and they've created a lot of opportunity. Jefferson County is just a little bit slower on the ball with that. But to me, that's what we need to do. Um, as the county continues to grow and we have more construction, and a new home construction has picked back up. I mean, it, we were doing really good until about 2008. Everything fell through the floor. It's back up. It's running. There's new homes being built. As the new homes are being built, we'll get additional retail, which there again creates more jobs. But the biggest jobs that I guess I'm focused on is those shipping jobs to, with the port. And those are going to come, but it's just not going to come fast enough for anybody. And do you view you do you need you know correspondent developments in infrastructure to also support this? So, like for example, what is your opinion on Proposition D, the increase for the gas oh, tax? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's something that is needed. It's been needed for a long time. I mean, in the legislature, we've struggled with ways to try to pass this. I've always been a proponent of um, putting it before the people and letting the people vote on it. Okay, um, we did that back when Nixon was governor, and Nixon didn't like the plan that we had put in place. He put it on the August ballot, and I think he actually campaigned against it, and that effort failed. So this is something that's not really necessarily um, new. It's something that we've done for a while, and um, it's just something we need to do, and I, I hope it passes because every year we struggle with that in the legislatures. How are we going to continue to maintain what we have and at the same time grow additional things for the future? One of the other issues that I wanted to ask you about is you've, you've been very outspoken in your opposition of abortion rights. I mm -hmm. think that's in one of the, your, your telltale issues because you, uh, yeah. you actually sued to, I think, yeah, yeah, it was about the state in, uh, in insurance plan that automatically covered contraception, correct? Right. Correct. So I understand contraception and abortion rights are not the same, but it does fall into the line of, of, of reproductive rights. Interestingly, Missouri Right to Life endorsed both you and your opponent in this race, at least in the primary. I guess they may have a different set of endorsements during the general election. Um, given that there's been a lot of uproar within the Missouri Democratic Party about any candidate that opposes abortion rights running on their side, is that going to affect any of the discourse on that particular issue? Or is both of your opinions on this the same, so it just is a non-issue throughout this campaign? Uh I don't believe it's a non-issue. Um, I think um, I believe that Missouri Right to Life has endorsed me in the general. Um, I think I have a proven record. I don't just fill out the survey and say I'm going to do this or that. I've been in the legislature on and off again since 1994. I think unquestionably I'm a pro-life leader. I don't just, like I said, by the fact that my wife and I took the federal government to task on forcing us to provide abortion coverage to our daughters. I don't see. I mean, I, so I guess you're saying, are me and him the same on this issue? I'm saying there's no way we're the same. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's, I would even, that's one of the things I guess I take pride in, and I would challenge any other senator to say that they are more pro-life than I am, and there's some very good people up there. So as far as this being the same on that issue, I'd say absolutely not. How big of an issue is reproductive rights, either in your race or in the district right now? 
I think that Jefferson County still is overwhelmingly a um, pro-life county. Um, when you, we look at polls and stuff, I think it's still somewhere around a 60-40 difference between those that are pro-life and those that are pro-choice. Um, it is interesting, and, and it's disheartening for me. When I first started, you know, back in 1994, um, we had a half a dozen, I guess you could say, pro-choice Republicans, and we had probably a dozen pro-life Democrats. Mm-hmm. Now, over the years, what we've seen is this big kind of litmus test to where it's like, if you don't do A, B, C, and D, then you can't be part of our party. And I think both sides have kind of done it, and the, and yeah. the primaries have neutralized out anybody who may be, it's all like moderate is a dirty word, you know, that can kind of be on both sides of an issue. So you would, want to, see, kind of you would want to see Republicans that support abortion rights in your caucus. Is that what you're saying? I, what I'm saying is I think it's better for the country when the two parties aren't so much um, diehard, you got to be this person in order to be part of our party. I think we need more people with diverse ideas. And there again, I'll just bring up one that I'm diverse on is the death penalty, mm-hmm. okay? There aren't that many Republicans that oppose the death penalty, but there are some, and there's more that are coming along. But I'm saying, if you have these litmus tests where you say, you can't be part of our party unless you do X, Y, and Z, it, it discourages people from running and it breaks down the discourse so you don't really have a good conversation. Now, um, the whole Greitens mess, which took like six months, but no one's talking that much about it now, is it having any impact at all, do you think, in either depressing enthusiasm among your side or is it just kind of something that's in the rearview mirror, everyone's happy with Parson, and they're just moving on? I'm just curious kind of what your thoughts are as we're heading into the yeah, last six I, weeks before the midterm. I think it's more of the latter, and I would, I would credit Governor Parsons a lot with that. Um, Governor Parsons is not um, – He's. I think he's a – maybe he's a healer. He's a, he's a consensus builder. He'll go out and he'll do things and try to make um, the state of Missouri a great place for everybody to live because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't have a personal ambition to try to go to the White House or try to, he, you know, he's not going to step over people. He's going to work with everybody. He's had a good history of doing that in the past. He respects the institution. He respects the state. And I think mainly it's because of his leadership that the Greitens affair has been so far in the rearview mirror. I think um, he's done a lot to kind of say, okay, we're moving forward as a state. And just the manner and the way that he attacks. I mean, he's done stuff like I read the other day that he came and talked to the St. Louis City Board of Aldermen, and no governor he, has done that in he decades. Did. He did. And so he's really reaching out, trying to bring the state back together and heal the wounds. And so I think it's really, in my opinion, I think it is in the rearview mirror. I don't hear much about when I'm out talking to people, I have not heard anybody talk about bring up the Greitens thing in the last three or four weeks at least. I, I do have to bring this episode up because we have not had you on the show since this purportedly occurred because when we had you on in 2016 you expressed misgivings about Greitens even after he won the primary because you didn't think that his views on social issues were credible like he didn't have a long track record like you do so then after he won you told me that you know we're going to try to work together because it's a Republican governor Republican legislature Um, you struck a you know fairly conciliatory tone then in January 2017, there was a, a vote on uh, a legislative pay raising uh, situation in the Senate. And the Missouri Times reported that you and the, the former governor had the following exchange, which I'm going to read verbatim. 
Greitens said, I can see by your pupils and your beady little eyes that you're afraid of me and your hands shaking that you're not invested at this. It was at this point after a series of veiled threats, including that the governor would be in his district, that Whelan replied with a question, what are you what are you going to do? Waterboard me? So, first of all, did that conversation actually happen? I will I will say this, and I think I told this to Scott when he asked me if this is that this is what he heard and this is what was true. Um, the tone of the conversation is pretty dead on. Okay, whether the governor said beady little eyes or dark little eyes, or if the governor, um, I. I don't know. I can't say that. I'm going to say it's verbatim correctly. Okay. And um, But the tone is pretty much there. Um, I can say verbatim that I did ask the governor because the governor kept trying to get me to move off of my position, and it wasn't. I wasn't going to budge. And I did say to him, so what are you going to try to do next, waterboard me? I mean, I'm just being sarcastic. Right. But, but that I did say. Yeah. Um, the other things, I mean, I'm not going to put words in the governor's mouth. Um, former governor's mouth. Former governor's mouth. Um but the tone was right. I don't know if every single word that has been come out of that meeting that I've heard about, and I'm kind of like, really? I didn't, you know, you know how people are. People kind of and, and put a know, few adjectives in know, here and there to and make I it more to, exciting. And I have to say, like, this is a position that you've taken that may not be super popular with people, that legislators may deserve to be paid more. But I will just say as, I will just say as devil's advocate here, a lot of people cannot quit their jobs and serve in the legislature on $37,000 a year. It really does limit the type of people that can actually do this, either to people who are very young or very wealthy. So I want to bring that point up because it's not a super popular thing to say, but like, let's just, I mean, I can't imagine somebody who makes forty or fifty thousand dollars a year is going to drop what they're doing and be a state legislator and they can't work. Right. Was that basically your mindset well, there? My mindset was that. My mindset was also that. So, and I've I've told you this before that I you know I started in the legislature in nineteen ninety four, and I've seen you know before we had term limits and I've seen this with term limits, and and I guess I can say that the quality of the legislator isn't isn't invested in the long term like they used to be. And maybe we're not getting the best and the brightest people from the state there. And part of that problem is because it is a, it's a dead-end job. You know when you start it that there is going to be a point in time to where you have to quit. Um, the pay isn't that great. The pensions isn't that great. So we, we don't have anything luring people into that. Now, the year, two years before that, we had a proposal from the um, uh, compensation committee or whatever that we raise it 14%. And I voted against that. And I said, that was crazy. This year, they came back and they said 2%. Well, not, they hadn't raised it in 10 years. So in, in 10 years' time, we haven't had any kind of raise. And I thought 2% wasn't unreasonable. When I explained that to the governor, the governor had a different way of looking at it. And the governor didn't – the, the governor was not a skilled um, politician, I guess you could say. I, I mean, the the interesting thing about this exchange, whether it was word for word or not, is that we're talking two Republicans here. We're talking about a new governor who is already going after somebody in his own party over an issue that some might and, say and, wasn't the top issue on his agenda. So my point being is, did this contribute? I mean, when all the stuff hit the fan in January, when all the stuff came out about his mistress and all that, um, is that one of the reasons, like, that many Republicans in the General Assembly were like, "Hey, I'm out of here," you know, you know or I, he's out of here? I, I, I think, um, I think it was part of the package. Okay, so um, the former governor came in, and and right off the bat, 
well, before he even got in, he started talking about how everyone who served in Jeff City was a career politician, and he was going to come in and he was going to fix things and throw us from the steps of the Capitol. Um, so he came in pretty much when he got elected. There were some people that were kind of scratching their heads, and and you can kind of say, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get elected. But now that you're up here, let's try to work together. And he never really was. Um, and I guess I will just go back to a skilled politician is to me someone who says, okay what is it that you're wanting to achieve this session and let me work with you to try to do that and here's my goals and how can we work together um i never really felt that i felt it was pretty much a a a dictate from him he didn't really try to work with people i think the situation with myself and uh senator hoskins hoskins and senator eigel contributed to that i don't think it was the only thing and i think as the session wore on there were more and more just um just ways that he would not seemed like he was willing to um, sit down and work with people. He wanted to kind of, he came from a military background. I think that's, so he's used to barking orders out and not necessarily working with other people. Going back to the topic of wage increases, where do you stand on increasing the minimum wage and where do you think voters in Jefferson County stand? Well, I think that, you know, that's something I think the voters can decide. I think it, I think minimum wage increase is always a popular thing. But I think the danger of it is is you it's a fine line to me and and I haven't really because it's on the ballot and it's up to the people, I haven't really studied it and I don't really have a position one way or the other. I would say that what my concern is with raising minimum wage too fast is what it does is gonna hurt the senior citizens. I mean, when if you take and you just say you go to I'm going to use McDonald's as my example. So if you go to McDonald's and let's say senior citizens go to McDonald's, they have coffee and a donut in the morning, and it costs them two, three dollars. Now, if the price not only would the price go up, but to keep that at two or three dollars, they're going to turn into these kiosks and stuff. Now, I'm not that old of a person yet, but I can tell you there's a lot of things on my cell phone that I don't want to do and I don't want to mess with, and I don't necessarily like kiosks either. So. What it's going to do is it's going to change the way the senior citizens can afford to live their lives. And instead of being able to go out, they're going to have to stay home. They can't take their kids out for, you know, the grandkids out for lunch because things are going to just get too cost prohibitive. So I think it's a fine line. I think we need to find ways to have people make a decent living. But at the same time, I don't believe that minimum wage is what I'd call a career. And you, you, need, to, you need to go from that to the next thing. And that should be a, bit, a beginning and not a, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to retire from working at minimum wage. If that's your idea, then it, I don't see it's going to happen. What do you see as the biggest differences between you and your Democratic opponent? Um, experience is a big one. I mean, I've been around. I I know how to get things done. I know in the next four years um, I'll be able to get more done in the Missouri Senate for Jefferson County than he'll be able to get done. Um, it With term limits, there is there's still that, I would call it a two-year two years to really figure out what you're doing and um, and if you start in the house then you're getting productive and then you move on to the Senate a lot of the things I guess I kind of people come straight to the Senate they still got to go through that two-year thing so now they've best case scenario they've only got six productive years for the citizens to where if somebody comes through the house and the Senate at least they're productive for you know a period of maybe a dozen years or so and I know one of your opponent's biggest platforms is health care. Mm-hmm. What is your goals for health care in Missouri if reelected? Well, 
Well, we, we looked at this last year. I'm the, the chairman of the Insurance and Banking Committee, so health care is something that we've studied, and we're trying to figure out what exactly we can do at the state. We're still hamstrung from the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, because the federal government has not come out and straightly just gotten rid of it. So, And you're opposed to any expansion of Medicaid, correct? Oh, absolutely, because, it meant, I mean, right now we're um, – that is the largest growing thing in the in the state budget, and um, and we're talking about roads, we're talking about education, talk about anything that you want to spend more money on, you can't because we are spending more money without expansion on Medicaid every year. If we expand it, it would be a, a budget buster, and they're just we can't afford to do that. Um, but back to the Affordable Care Act, um, one of the biggest challenges and one of the concerns that I have is that um, because of the way things are, we're not having enough carriers servicing enough counties and state of Missouri. Now we've been able last year we thought there were going to be some that were going to either have one or none. We were able to miss that but now I feel this like is, this is for the marketplace. For the marketplace. Right. Okay, let's so I, I feel like the best thing that we can do and, and we can do it up to the limits of what we can do within the Affordable Care Act but we need to give people more options, give them more ways to get involved and make it more appealing for more companies to come in and offer competition. My last question for you, and mm -hmm. I think I talked with you about this uh, earlier this year. What message do you think it would send for the entire statewide ticket if you were able to win re-election? And conversely, if you end up being unsuccessful, do you think it means that it's a Democratic wave election? I, I ask this because, you know, in 2006, when Ryan McKenna unseated an incumbent, I, it was a weird situation where the Republican won after the ballot was split by independent McKenna candidate. McKenna was a Democrat. And, it was a special election. And was, yeah, he and, came in after, yeah. And then, that was and, the first general and, and, and I think it was still pretty Democratic back then. Now it's right. re Jefferson County is clearly a more Republican county than it was 12 years ago. What do you think the stakes are in this election, basically? Well, I, th I think that the, the stakes are this is going to show whether um, the Republicans in Jefferson County and with the state and the federal people can work cohesively together and motivate the voters to come out and vote. This will be, and I'm, I would, I will tell you this: this will be the most difficult election for Republicans in the last four. Okay, um, because what we've done is the last we, four we were, years or the last, last four, four elections. Last four elections. Because okay. I would say that I know that um, what you do, what a lot of people have done is they've rallied around that Obamacare. Okay, we don't like Obamacare, and that resonates well. Everybody agrees. So you can say we've ran against Obama for three cycles. Now we have Trump. We can't run against Obama no more. That's old news. So this is going to be the true test to see if we can c continue to pr push those Republican majorities and move forward. Are the Democrats going to do a better job of getting out their people, and are we going to have a setback election? Um, I think still from the mood, I think that we're going to we're going to be successful. I think that the majority of the Republicans down in Jefferson County are going to win. I could see there'd be a race here or there that Democrats could pick up, but it, we're going to have to work hard. It's not a gimme. It, you know, you can't rest on your laurels in this. You know, especially in Jefferson County, you have to work hard every day. Uh, the good news is um, for the Republicans is that from the top of the ticket down, we have three congressmen that are all working and they're all Republican. By the we way, have, those, that's Ann Wagner, Blaine Luke DeMeyer, and, and Jason, Jason Smith. Smith. Right. We have um, people the countywide. We have pretty much every state rep seat except for uh, Mike Revis, and the, which has just part of Jefferson County, and then Ben Harris, which has part of Jefferson County. But all the state rep seats that are fully in Jefferson County are all Republican. Um, so we've got a lot of synergy and a lot of people all working together um, to move the 
to move the electorate to get out to vote. So I think we'll be successful, um, but you just never know. You can't, like I said, you can't quit. I mean, as far as the U.S. Senate race, what are you saying? Is Holly strongly supported down there, or is it still mixed? Or just kind of what you're seeing as you campaign? What I'm seeing is it's somewhat of a mix. I think it's um, I think it's a, a pretty much a toss-up at the moment. Um, I would think that if people down the ticket, like myself and the, the county officials and the state reps, if we all do a good job getting our voters to the polls, that's going to benefit Holly. Okay? Um, but just if, if nobody else is on the ballot, just McCaskill and Holly, and they were the only two, I, it's a toss-up right now. But I think that Holly has an advantage, just like all Republicans do, because we have the synergy of us all working together. And we've got our candidates have got better name ID. They're better funded. Um, so all things being equal, we should be okay. But I don't want to say that we're going to be fine and then have people stop working. You know, we can't ever stop working. Yeah. Just, to, just as a parting thought, I've looked at statewide elections for the past few cycles. I have not found an example where somebody won a statewide election and didn't win Jefferson County. So okay. I oh. think that that just showcases how important it is right. for, for, for what you just mentioned to occur if right. Holly is going to win. Right. Thank you so much, Senator, for appearing on the show. I'm glad to be here. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Follow Abigail on Twitter at... At Abigail Sensky. And... My, one of my favorite Twitter handles, uh, follow the senator at... Wheelin' Now. Wheelin' Now. Now okay, spell that. W-I-E-L-A-N-D-N-O-W. Do it now, not yep. later. Yep. See you later. Sponsored by Lou Fuse Alfa Romeo of Metro East.